Are VPNs an important part of being a systems administrator? Should I be using one for my personal use? I'm Mike Walton, and this is the Sysadmin School Podcast. VPNs are very important to businesses and being a systems administrator. Now, if you don't know what a VPN is, don't worry. We're going to go over that in this podcast. So VPNs were originally created around 1996. Uh, There was a Microsoft employee who created the first protocol, which was a peer-to-peer tunneling protocol, or PPTP. That was the very early usage of VPNs. Now, those VPNs at that time were used mainly to what we know a lot now is to secure traffic from a client computer out to the internet. Starting in probably the early 2000s, they became much more widely used from a business perspective. And what a VPN basically does is it takes a client's computer on a home network or some other network and connects them back to the business network. This is why they were so great for for businesses is because we could then have remote users connect back in and access business resources. The other very important thing about these VPNs is the fact that all the traffic was encrypted. So you're sitting at your own home or your friend's home on an unsecured wireless network. You connect through a VPN back to your business or your corporate work and someone intercepts that traffic, they won't be able to see any of it because it's encrypted. It's going to look like gobbledygook to them. So that's one of the reasons that VPNs picked up so early on for a business use as opposed to what we really know them for a lot now is more personal use. So businesses have been, as long as I've actually been in the IT field, um, I've been working with VPNs. So that for me was back in 2001, 2002 um, was when I first started working with Cisco and other VPNs in terms of remote connectivity. Now, there were a lot of problems with them back then, Um, problems being not so much on the VPN side, but more on the side of most users' internet connectivity was not the speed that you would get, say, in an office. The office I actually worked in, every computer was connected at 100 megabits. So long. This is a while ago, and most people's internet connection, if you were lucky, was you know maybe five megabits. So you think about that, and all the overhead the VPN tunnel created, and most people the VPNs worked, but they weren't incredibly usable. Ah, a little bit of coffee. <laughs> um, so back to kind of how they worked is really it's it's quite simple. There's typically um, depending on the type of VPN, and we'll kind of gloss over those in a second. There's typically a client side um, or a piece of hardware that connects back to another piece of hardware on the other side. And they basically bridge those two networks. And I'm doing an incredibly high um, overview of this here because I I don't want to get into too many technical details on this podcast. It's just kind of hard to explain without the visuals. But we have multiple types of VPNs. All of them work very similarly. The first one is a client-to-server VPN. Now, the client-to-server VPN is what most of us understand. I have a piece of software running on my laptop right now, and when I click 
the button to connect, it's going to make a connection back to, in this case, my business and allow me to access all of my business resources from my computer that is not in my office. So that's really what the client to server VPN is. And we'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to the personal use VPNs because those are the same thing. They're client to server type VPNs. The next one is a site to site VPN. And these are really important when you're looking at companies that have, say, multiple remote sites. So for example, if I have a corporate site in Houston, Texas, and I have a remote site in, let's say, Miami, Florida, and I want those two sites to be able to access each other's resources, I what I may do there is set up what's called a site-to-site VPN. So there I would have two firewalls, presumably depending on how I'm going to set up the VPN, but I'm going to have two firewalls that are going to then connect to each other and extend those networks back. And then anyone connected to either the Miami office or the Houston office will have access to all the resources in either office. And the really nice thing about the site-to-site VPNs is there's no... Can, there's no button you have to make sure someone clicks to make sure it turns on and off. These things are always up. They're always on. And in many cases, some companies have multiple network connections or multiple internet connections, and they have multiple site-to-site VPNs for redundancy. So for example, if you're using Xfinity Internet and you have a site-to-site VPN and the Xfinity Internet goes down in Miami, well, maybe you have some other type of connection that the VPN can roll over to. And these... Firewalls nowadays, they support all this. There's there's really nothing special you have to do to support these types of failovers and redundancies in especially site-to-site type VPNs. Now, you can get super easy. You can uh, A lot of home routers you can even buy now support some form of site-to-site VPN. But in most cases, it's going to be overkill for your average home user to use. Now, the, the third type... Um, is one that I'm fairly familiar with, and I have used it a little bit in the past, but I, I don't use it that often. And this is an SSL VPN. In a lot of cases, uh, depending where you're at, some places block certain ports going outbound. And VPNs typically work across ports that are specific to whatever type of VPN you're using. Um, for example, let me just look at real quick, open VPN ports. So OpenVPN typically uses port 1194 over UDP. But what we kind of get to with this SSL VPN is OpenVPN will default back to an SSL VPN and go across port 443. Most places, because port 443 is your typical HTTPS traffic, don't block that port. So you can pretty be, pretty much be assured almost anywhere that you go, you're going to be able to make an outbound connection on port 443. So that's one of the uses of having an SSL VPN is that no matter where you go, you can be pretty assured it works. I know one of my first jobs, we we'd be secure. We blocked a lot of outbound traffic and we would actually get we get constant calls because we had a guest network for guests that came through. And we even, for some security reasons, we blocked outbound some outbound ports for guests as well because we didn't, just the, the security landscape at the time. And we would get calls constantly about customers trying to connect to their corporate VPNs 
and weren't able to do it because we were blocking that outbound port. Now, one port we never blocked was 443. So if anybody had a VPN that would eventually default back to port 443, or they had a specific SSL VPN, then that would that worked out perfectly. One of the other nice things about an SSL VPN, and I know um, the company Palo Alto does this on, on some other companies that I'm, I may not be familiar with, the Palo Alto firewalls and their VPN is called Global Protect. But Palo Alto can do a clientless VPN, which is also considered an SSL VPN. And basically, it's for people who aren't using a corporate computer. So you can lock people down to very specific network segments and other places that are important to what they need. But basically, they connect to a website, and that establishes an SSL VPN as long as they have that website open. And they can then, you know... VPN have access to certain network resources. Now, obviously, for the corporate and from a sysadmin perspective and security, you want to make sure that you're not just allowing people to connect to your network with any type of device that they have, but it allows the ability for people to connect without a client being installed. Another good use case is if there's a cell phone that I issue to an employee. Say I have some uh, engineering or maintenance people that I give them a cell phone, but I need them to be able to access, say, an on-prem help desk ticketing system so they can get their help desk tickets, they can update them, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, maybe they're at a site that doesn't have internet access and they're using their cell service. If that's the case, then they can use an SSL VPN on the cell phone to actually connect back to the corporate network and access those tickets in the ticketing system. So there's a lot of use cases for this SSL VPN um, outside of just some of the normal ones you may think of. And those are really all the reasons why you can imagine, and I'll just let your, your, your minds go wild here, all the different use cases you can have for VPNs. Now I, for example, one of my use cases, um, actually in a slightly personal side use, is I, I have a network of, of computers as well as some cloud storage and some cloud computing, some cloud VMs, virtual machines, that I utilize. And one of the ways that I connect to those is through a VPN. So if I'm at a client site or somewhere else and I need to connect to a VPN, say to give a demo or to look up something, that's actually how I do it is I have that type of VPN set up personally so that I can reach my resources either in my cloud environment or in my own uh, data center. So as you can see, and as I'm kind of hopefully not rambling on too much here, you can see that VPNs are actually a very important um, aspect of being a systems administrator. Now, the VPNs typically fall under the network team. And depending on where you may look to get a job, where you may look to to work or what type of role you're going to be having, you may be sysadmin slash network admin. My one of my first jobs, that's exactly what it was. It was a systems admin job that also was network admin. So I had to balance both of those. If you were getting a strictly systems administrator type job, there are pieces of the VPN you may have to administer or at least understand. The first one being is deployment of the clients. Now, depending on if you're a systems administrator and you do deployments to uh, client workstations or to uh, employee workstations, 
that may be part of your job is deploying the client. So you're going to need to understand how the VPN works, how the client connects to the VPN server, and how all that works <laughs> For uh, as I'm rambling on with that. But you have to understand those pieces because the second part of that then is troubleshooting. So when a user has an issue and it goes to, say, the networking team, the networking team says, I'm not seeing any problems here, you may then have to go through and actually start troubleshooting to determine where the problem is. And having a good fundamental knowledge of how VPNs work, how your specific VPN works, is going to be really important to that troubleshooting. The The other reason is their VPNs sometimes have other supporting softwares or infrastructure that they need. For example, one of the Palo Alto VPNs I'm, I'm familiar with, part of their structure is actually a RADIUS server. So there's a RADIUS server that uh, Microsoft Network, Microsoft's Network Protection Server, MPS, is a Microsoft RADIUS server that is actually used by the VPN to help determine whether a user is authenticated or not. So a lot of those other kind of pieces that work alongside the VPN are parts that are going to be be managed by systems administrators and not by the network team. Another one is if you want to put in a, say, a third-party multi-factor authentication piece within your VPN, which a lot of companies do, whether that's a certificate-based one, a token-based one. There's, there's many third-party MFA providers out there, and that type of implementation is going to typically fall on the systems administrator to actually implement. So VPNs, while they are a networking type of thing, they are fall very heavily into systems administration as well. And as I've said, you can imagine how important this is to businesses for very, being able to support those remote workers, especially over the last two, three years when remote work has skyrocketed. Um, used to be this was more important for for systems administrators to be able to connect in after hours and for remote salespeople who are on the road. But now for even your contact centers who don't even have to have an actual office anymore and can work from home, don't have to come in, VPNs become very important, especially when you're getting into certain companies where you may be supporting 500 plus users working remotely at any given time. So having a good, solid understanding of VPNs is, is very important to becoming a good, well-rounded systems administrator. Now, let's get into some of the other uses, and we're going to put the business piece aside. Um, although it's, it's important, we're still going to put some of this aside and talk about the personal uses of VPN. And I'm a heavy believer in the personal use of VPN. I personally use a VPN for some of my more critical things, and I use it actually just quite often for general browsing. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Public use VPNs kind of really got, um, became important really kind of around 2010 when we started seeing a lot of companies with data breaches. Companies were not handling data properly and certain information was being breached and leaked out to other companies. And then it was also at, at a time when a lot of people Oh, excuse me, I need a sip of coffee. A lot of people actually didn't understand the concept of making sure that their websites were running over HTTPS. And this is actually a very important part that a lot of people I don't think still understand to a degree is that, you know, running your site over HTTP is okay, but there's a lot of things that 
can be compromised and then used for fishing uh, campaigns and other things, which I'm going to talk about in another podcast on fishing. Um, but that was where a lot of the personal use VPNs started coming into play. And I'll give you a great example. Um, and it's kind of a um, an anecdotal an- anecdotal example that if you if I'm sitting in a coffee shop and I'm connected to the Wi-Fi connected to the unencrypted Wi-Fi because it's open. They don't require a password for me to connect to it. So I'm connected now to an open Wi-Fi network. And I go to my bank. And for whatever reason, my bank does not use HTTPS on their website. And I go to my bank and I put in my username and password. Well, if you know Bob sitting three seats down from me has his laptop up and he's just watching the wireless traffic, which you can completely do with the correct software and the correct wireless cards, he will see my username and password for my banking information go across in plain text. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for any amount of time, you you probably already knew this. This probably is not a surprise to you. Um, And that is why companies have transitioned over to using HTTPS for their sites because same scenario, the wireless isn't encrypted. But if I connect to my bank now over HTTPS and Bob intercepts that traffic, it's going to look like gobbledygook because he's not going to see the actual traffic, the actual username and password that I submitted to the banking site. Now, that being said, there are other parts of our traffic that are not encrypted. So, for example, our DNS traffic is typically not encrypted. So if you don't understand what I mean by that is same scenario here. Okay, I'm sitting down at a coffee shop, I connect to the unencrypted Wi-Fi, and I want to connect to Wells Fargo Bank. Okay, so I go to wellsfargo.com. When I type in Wells Fargo, the first thing my computer is going to do is it's going to send out a DNS request and saying, hey, what's the IP address for wellsfargo.com? And Wells, and you know, the DNS server for Wells Fargo is going to come back and say, here it is. I'm going to connect to the site via HTTPS, everything's going to be encrypted, log in, hunky-dory. Well, Bob's listening on that traffic. So what Bob's going to see is Bob is going to see an unencrypted DNS request sent saying, who has Wells Fargo IP address? And Bob is going to know at that point that, hey, this guy sitting beside me is a Wells Fargo customer. Maybe I can put together a quick phishing campaign because I know he's trying to connect to his bank account. So I know he's going to Wells Fargo. I know he's trying to connect to his bank account. If I can put a quick phishing campaign together to send him an email saying, hey, we see you're trying to log in. Please click here. Then maybe I can actually scrape some credentials from him. A VPN, a personal VPN removes all of that. What happens with a personal VPN then is we'll, we'll continue with the same scenario. I sit down at a coffee shop. I connect to the unencrypted Wi-Fi. I turn on my VPN. I then connect to wellsfargo.com and log into my bank account and go on with my life. Bob, sitting beside me, is going to pick up nothing but encrypted traffic from my computer. Everything, the DNS requests, the web requests, every bit of that is being encapsulated into this tunnel, this VPN tunnel, and sent to another server that is then actually making the requests out. And it's all going across an encrypted VPN tunnel. So there is no way that Bob, sitting beside me, 
can get any bit of the traffic or even know what sites I'm browsing on that unencrypted wireless network. I hope that all made sense. If it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't, feel free to reach out to me and I can certainly uh, elaborate on that a little bit more. But that is really the one of the it's one of the main importances of VPNs. That's my that's my main reason for using VPNs, especially in public areas. It's why I have one on my cell phone. It's why I have one on all of my laptop computers, and it's why I encourage my my family to use them as well because you just never know when you get into those habits and especially things like banking apps on your phone that you know update all the time update in the background when you're not even doing anything particularly so if you connect to a coffee house wi-fi and you don't even realize it but your phone is reaching out to your bank account to get updated information that traffic could be captured the other important reason of using it is a privacy reason most VPN providers for personal use, or even business, but for personal use type VPNs, are really, they advertise more geared toward privacy for people. And as with most VPNs, my preferred VPN is actually Surfshark, Surfshark VPN. You have a very long list of different servers you can connect to in different states, different countries around the world. So... That's one of the nice things too, is once you've connected, you've established that VPN, the websites that you go to don't know where you're originating from. They don't know. So I, you know, I'm in Houston, Texas, and I make a connection to and my VPN to Boston. And then I start browsing. Every website I go to is going to think that I'm in Boston based on the IP address that I'm giving them. Now a lot of the IP addresses of the VPN providers are well known, so they may know I'm coming from a VPN provider, but it doesn't matter because they still don't know where I'm actually coming from. They know I'm coming from a VPN provider, but they don't know where my traffic's originating from. So there's there's the privacy fact of personal VPNs that really appeals to a lot of people. Again, especially in this 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 day and age, the landscape, the security landscape that we have where People are trying to steal your identity. People are trying to uh, basically gear ads towards your locations and tracking cookies. So that's one of the really important things of VPNs. The the other nice thing, and they're not it's not a feature of VPN, but I'm pulling it up to take a so make sure I say it correctly. But most VPNs provide additional sources or additional resources, not sources. But so, for example, you know, Surfshark promotes fast VPNs. A lot of them offer, even though they are not, they offer antivirus. So Surfshark itself also offers antivirus. Now, VPNs are not antiviruses. VPNs will not protect you from viruses. They will not protect you from malware. They won't protect you from many things. They won't protect you from from credit cards being stolen if you provide that information to somebody. But many companies, again, like Surfshark, provide those types of software. So Surfshark has a product called Surfshark Antivirus. They have a private web search. So, you know, Google, you know, keeps track of all your web searches. If you're logged into your Google account when you do your web search, then the VPN is becoming moot because Google already knows who you are. They don't need to know your location. You know, a lot of companies, Surfshark included, have 
ad-free uh, and completely private web searches so that you don't get those types of tracking cookies. They also have alerts that I think I've talked about them before, but they're alerts that detect and let you know of data breaches that you may be involved in or you may have personal information that was disclosed in a data breach. And they also have an incognito product, which is a product that actually stops companies from collecting and aggregating and trading your personal data. So that's another company that they have. And there's a, like I said, there's a lot of companies out there that all do similar things. There's NordVPN, there's ExpressVPN, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, personally, I, I, I use Surfshark. I've enjoyed it. I got it on a pretty good uh, deal and I've, I've enjoyed it. I've never had any issues with it. The one thing I do like about it is it's unlimited devices. And yes, this is a slight plug, I'll admit, for Surfshark. I, I use Surfshark on myself every day. I have it installed on my cell phone. I literally pull up the app and I hit connect and I'm connected right away. I am an affiliate of Surfshark as well. So if you do purchase through Surfshark using my affiliate link, I'll get a little bit of a kickback. Nothing crazy. If you don't want to do that, no big deal. You can just go to surfshark.com and check out what they have. I think if you actually use my affiliate link, you might get um, a deeper discount at the point at this point, and I'll make sure that that's in my um, in the description of this podcast. And you can even look through and see all the other benefits that Surfshark provides. And that's pretty much it. That's the extent of of VPNs. I know I. I went over very quickly a lot of information in this podcast. I wanted to try to to get it out there without going too deep. I wanted this to be a little high-level overview. Um, and if this is something that, that, that you guys enjoy, let me know. I would love to hear from you about more of this. And if this is something that you would like to see a YouTube video or something with a little bit more detail and context, I'd love to see that as well. So just let me know. Um, and check out the links in the bottom. Again, if you want to use the Surfshark affiliate link, feel free. Full disclosure, I do get a little kickback from that. If you purchase Surfshark, not much. It's a little bit. So every little bit helps, obviously. Uh, but that is it. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and I will talk to you later. If you enjoy this podcast and want some other great information about being a systems administrator, then head on over to thesysadminschool.com where I give you as much information as I can about becoming a sysadmin. If you would like to also play around with some of the technology that I talk about, then you may be interested in my ebook showing you how to build your own lab environment for less than $400. You can get that ebook at 400 dollarlab.com that's 400 the word dollar lab.com thanks again for listening and i hope you have a great day